From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. Fast-growing startups work with me because they want to become better storytellers. Whether that's for customers, investors, or a packed audience, they know that story is their ticket to stand out, stand apart, and change the game. And this podcast here is where I talk with entrepreneurs and leaders in the startup ecosystem, ranging from scale stage to early stage, as they share specific strategies that they have executed to stand out across three specific areas, sales, marketing, and people. Before we begin today's episode, remember you can head to StartupHypeMan.com and subscribe to the newsletter that doesn't suck. You'll get new podcast episodes and timely reads written by me, but also helpful articles from around the web and a notice of upcoming pitch competitions. All right, let's dive in and hear how today's guest is changing the game. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the microphone from Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, and currently residing in Columbus, Ohio. He is the founder and CEO of Dollar. Please welcome Naveed Iqbal. That is amazing. I, you know, I knew it was coming. I just wasn't prepared. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I always enjoy doing it as well. He is Naveed Iqbal, as I mentioned. Founder and CEO of Dollar. What is Dollar? Well, it's pretty simple. I can say it in a few words. Goodbye, student debt. Get more money for your student loan payments and get to zero dollar debt faster. Dollar has been on the rise over the last couple of years, ever since they launched in 2019. And they're working with universities, they're working with corporations, they're working with nonprofits to help employees pay off their student loan debt faster. And today on the show, in our season 16 premiere episode, which I'm so excited to be kicking off a new season today with Naveed, we are talking about owning product market fit. Naveed, welcome to the show. Why is this on your mind? Why is this important to you? Thank you so much, Rajiv. This is a, this is a real treat to be here. So uh, thanks for, for having me. Product market fit, uh, I think it's on everybody's mind, right? It's on every entrepreneur's mind because you want to make sure you're building something that people actually want and you're not just living in a romantic dream that's, uh, that's not going to turn into a profitable business. So that's really why it's on my mind. Well, we're going to learn a whole lot more about how Dollar has been achieving that and getting to product market fit and, and gotten beyond that point. But before we do, let's learn a little bit more about you personally. Now, Right before we started recording, I learned where you're from, and I mentioned in your introduction, you grew up in Tanzania. So tell me about this. What was the culture that you grew up in, and how do you feel that shaped your perspective on the world? What an interesting question. So, you know, I, I often, when I speak with my friends who went to school uh, here, for instance, it's very common that they speak about these little... Uh, cliques or, you know, whatever you would call them in high school, like small groups of people with similar interests hanging out. We didn't have that back home, right? Like when I, where I, at least where I went to school, it was just one big friend group. Uh, and, you know, being a, a math nerd, uh, you know, I would hang out with the, with the, what, what you might call jocks or whatever. And we just got along, right? There was, I wasn't different. They weren't different. We were just friends. 
And I think that's really, really made a big difference to how, you know, I, I see myself, how I see others. It, it's, it's just a pleasant way to exist. That is really interesting because I, I grew up here and it definitely is very clicky. Like, I mean, if you've seen that movie, Mean Girls, it's a pretty accurate representation of what high school is like, how you have your jocks, you have your like your mathletes, you have your even within the jocks, it's like you have the football jocks versus like the cross country jocks and they're always rivaling with each other. So um, that idea of just kind of like everyone being friends or everyone kind of being in it together. Do you think that that has influenced um, the way you think about relationships as an adult and the way you interact with people as an adult? Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent. It's it, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of mistakes. I think that at least I've learned this is my opinion, but I think a lot of mistakes that leaders make or others make uh, when it comes to interacting with, you know, the team, other people, customers, and so on are, are based on insecurities, right? Like the, if, you, if you really dig into what the, why the person is acting a certain way, typically if it's not a productive behavior, then it's related to some kind of insecurity. And, uh, and I think growing up the way that I did and in, you know, the culture that we had in high school really helped address that. I don't think... Uh, you know, your insecurities are a different style, right? Like it's, 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 uh, you have the, you know, everybody I know struggles with some kind of imposter syndrome. And I think some, some, to some level that's healthy, right? It's important to, to doubt yourself a little bit uh, <laughs> that, that drives innovation and creativity, but yeah. Okay. So I, I think that that is an interesting point. Um, and you mentioned you were a math nerd and you were hanging out with, uh, you know, the jocks and it just, it didn't matter. You all were able to have your unique interests and it was all cool. I am, I do want to ask more about the whole, the whole like math nerd in you, because uh, I know from talking to you previously that you were very fascinated with math and physics from a very young age. Um, and it was largely driven by Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Britannica. Can you talk us through that story and how Encyclopedia Britannica sort of like began to shape you? Oh, yeah, for sure. So, you know, my grandfather, back in the day, you know, without the internet, your, your source of universal knowledge was the Encyclopedia Britannica. In fact, you could probably study their sales cycle. Like, they had a very interesting sales model. Uh, but, you know, the, the different story. So, my grandfather always used to refresh his Encyclopedia Britannica because knowledge grows, right? And so, every couple of years, he'd have to take down the old set of books and buy the new set of books. And I think that's where my dad picked it up from. And so, you know, from when I was very little, we, we had a full set of the, of the Encyclopedia Britannica. And my parents are, are huge readers, both of them. This constantly reading, right? And so from a very young age, I was exposed to this where my parents would be opening books and be like, what do we do with this kid? Like, here's a book. <laughs> here's a book. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, uh, I, I started really, really consuming all this material and, um, the Encyclopedia Britannica for a parent, I think, was, is just like a gift because there's so much about so many things and it's sort of safe for a child to read, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's fine. And so I, I would read about Norse mythology. I would read about the planets, you know, and then I would, I would come up with my like science experiments where I would, I'm like, okay, how do I measure the angle that this planet is tilted at? You know, how do I draw that on a piece of paper? So it was, it was really- Wow, you were measuring angles of the planets. I tried. Let's just say that. <laughs> I tried. Yeah. You know, success, not success. I had a good time, you know, and, you know, learning about, uh, 
I was exposed to many, many different sciences, like biology, like, you know, fascinated by dinosaurs and where they came from, how that worked, uh, just human processes, very, very interesting things. And so that led into this, this sort of free curiosity, right? Because I wasn't doing it for school. I wasn't being tested on it. I wasn't being judged on it in any way. It was just purely for, to keep myself occupied. Hmm. And so this helped me, you know, be, be really curious about other things and understand that process of curiosity by failure. Uh, and so that's become a big part of how I approach, uh, you know, my whole life, basically. It, it's, you know, it, it, a lot of people talk about constantly learning, but unless you're, 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 you're very intentional about it, that, those are just words. They mean nothing. And so you have to be adjusted as you go. Yeah. That's that's, I'm, uh, that's a really interesting point that you make. You have to be intentional about the learning. Otherwise, I mean, I guess you could just be a sponge and soak in things, but I feel like if it's, if there's no like particular direction for it, then you'll be a smart person, but with, with, with no direction. Yeah. Like a trivia machine. basically. Like what? Yeah. Thing? So you could probably win Jeopardy, <laughs> <laughs> which has its merits, right? You can make yeah. a lot of money if you win on Jeopardy. <laughs> um, so I think that's really, uh, I think that's a really kind of interesting sort of understanding of who you are. So then how does, how did you make the decision or how did you end up coming from Tanzania to America? So I, uh, you know, early on when I, when I was younger in my early teens, I wanted to be a physicist. I wanted, in particular, I wanted to be an astrophysicist. I loved, uh, you know, physics. I got introduced there's this book for younger people around, you know, uh, general relativity and special relativity, Einstein theories and stuff. Super fascinating. I used to spend all my time thinking about those things. And I, that's what I thought I wanted to be. And then when I was around 16, I, I moved schools and I was introduced to this person who just absolutely changed my life. I realized that the thing that I was truly in love with, the thing that really fascinated me was the mathematics. The physics was very cool, but the underlying math behind it was what really got me jazzed up. So uh, it was really interesting because given how (laughs) enthusiastic I was about the subject uh, and not everybody else was, I ended up having a a basically a personal tutor for two years in high school. I was the only one taking advanced mathematics. And so for two years, it was just me and this person. And, uh, you know, it was, it was directed by what I was curious about. I was like, how do calculators figure out, you know, what, uh, what this, what the particular value of a sign of some angle is, right? It's like, a, huh. it's a really tough question. Like how, yeah, how do they figure it out? Right. Like do they right. have lists of tables and stuff? And it turns out that there's really interesting ways to do that. And then we start learning about how to do that and why it matters. Where else can you use it? Really, really cool way to learn. And so two years after that, you know, I was like, as, as I was going through it, I realized that this is what I want to do with my life. The one thing I want in my life more than anything is a PhD in mathematics so that, you know, Purely, purely for, for, for self-interest, right? Like I, so that I can say that I am yeah, certified. Bragging rights. Exactly. <laughs> like, and I, so it really, it, it, it's about being able to say that I am certified to produce new mathematics, right? Like it, uh-huh. that's basically what a PhD gives you is it gives you certification that this person can produce new things in this area, right? Like yeah. they, they've, they've passed the test. So uh, I, 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 I put all my efforts and energy into doing that. Uh, but it was, you know, it was, it was not it was not easy because the focus was was wasn't there right it, I, I don't know that's the best way to say it i was interested in so many other things like i want to be really good at math but i'm so fascinated by economics i'm so fascinated by finance mm. oh i love business i should read the psychology book all of these things right and so you you <laughs> ultimately 
you're not as good at any one thing, but you learn a lot of things about a lot of other things. Um, and, you know, at, at the time it, it did feel like that, but then what I realized is that I had really done myself a great favor by exposing myself to those things because further on when I was required to do even deeper thinking, you know, when doing my master's and my, and my PhD, all that other stuff that I had learned really helped me approach things in different ways. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a really good thing. I think it's a, and you know, I, I give credit to the American university system for exposing you to those kinds of things. In the beginning, I was like, why am I wasting my time in a freaking comp and red class? Right? Like, I know how to do it. <laughs> like, I know, I comprehend, you know, uh, but it's, uh, that exposure is crucial. You know, in other places, you go directly into whatever your subject matter is, and there's value to that. You become an expert very quickly, but exposing yourself to different kinds of thinking, I think is fascinating. It's amazing. Yeah, it's actually how, you know, one of those random like prereqs you have to take that I had to take in college was some type of like art class. And so I took an animation class my freshman year, which then led me to say, you know what, I want a minor in graphic design. And so that's what I ended up getting, a mi- you know, my, my minor in, in my undergrad degree was in graphic design. And I even knew I was like, because I, I, I knew very early on, I was like, I want to I want to get into marketing. Um, and I never had an intention that I'm going to become a professional graphic designer. I was just saying to myself, Hey, now that I've been exposed to this through this, you know, animation class, I think it would, I, I want to be able to understand design language and speak design because there's probably going to be instances that come up in my career where I'm going to need to like talk to someone about how to create something. And I want to be able to speak on their level not have to like, not feel like I'm behind in that sense. And so um, I think that's to your point. Yeah, like having to take like the random classes sometimes are what peaks, you know, points of curiosity you otherwise wouldn't have known existed. And then, you know, rounds you out in a certain way that you wouldn't have otherwise been rounded out. Completely agree. Couldn't agree more. It, it, now, so- now let's, so you end up getting, you know, your, your career launches in data science. Um, can you walk us through how, how does dollar come into your life? Like, how do you go from being like the head of data science at Rove? How do you go from being data scientist at JP Morgan to them being like student loans and, and, and entrepreneurship? Uh, you know, I've always known that at the end of the day, I want to do something on my own. I want to help people in my own individual way. And, you know, we go through these journeys. It's important to be, it's important to be humble and modest, right? Like you can't come out of college or some people can, right? But like for me, I was like, you know, if I, if I, if I come out of this and I want to go and start something, it's going to take me so much longer and I'm going to have a lot more of, of lows than highs if I'm just trying to do this completely by myself with no experience, no exposure to other ways of thinking. Uh, so I knew I, I, I want to go put some, some effort in. I want to go work somewhere. I want to see how these things work. How do people approach these problems? They're really smart people in this world we go to college to learn about other people's experiences. Right. And, you know, there's other, generally when we learn, we're doing it that way. Uh, so starting off, uh, you know, as my, my, my life as a data scientist, I was very lucky. I was uh, very, very lucky. I got a job at Chase pretty early, uh, you know, after my master's and it was really fascinating. We were working in consumer risk. Uh, so very, very interesting things on the front line of fraud. And then I went back and I finished my PhD and I, I was fortunate to get hired back at Chase, but then a different team. Uh, but this, now this team was on the product side, right? 
And the product side team was thinking so differently on the on in fraud. We were like, how do we stop this loss like immediately? How do we exonerate this real quick? Uh, but on the product side, we're like, how do we maximize the consumer experience, right? Like, yes, you know, how do we make sure even if somebody has has a head account account compromised, there is no feeling worse in the world than if you try to get your money when you know that somebody has had access to it and you can't do it, right? Like, it's a horrible feeling. It, it's probably the most effective way to cut everybody off from that supply to keep your money safe, right? But we still want to make sure that there's a bridge between how you feel about your assets. Uh, when you know something has gone wrong. So the consumer experience, the person's experience was was at, at the, the top of the peak, right? Like everything we did about was was focused on that. And I learned so much. It changed my thinking. And, you know, one thing that I think uh, uh, maybe people of, of my background, you know, in mathematics or whatever, m- might be inclined to be sort of, uh, you know, black and white. I don't know if there's a better way to say that. It's like, oh, just do this. That will yeah, solve binary, it. Yeah. Exactly, a binary, right? Like it, it, it's going to fix the problem if I do this thing and that's going to be a complete and absolute fix to that problem. In, in, in real life, we're really not looking for absolute fixes. We're looking for gray areas, right? Like that's where all the interesting things happen. Mm-hmm. So it was very interesting to, to, to learn how to think in this new way, uh, but still use the same tools. So, you know, uh, after that, I, I, I love talking about math and I love, I love helping people uh, do things with it. So I made really good friends with my neighbor and he was working on, on his blockchain startup with, uh, with his co-founders. And, uh, you know, we would just discuss things and I threw some ideas and this and that. And it, it, eventually him and, and the CEO, they invited me to join their company. Said, hey, why don't you come work for us? You can be the head of data science. Hey, that's fascinating. So I, I was like... I quit my job at Chase. My wife was looking at me like, what is wrong with this guy? Like, what, 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 what is he doing? Uh, but it was the right decision, right? I, 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 it was a perfect, 100% the right decision. So I joined this company and it was really, really fun, really interesting. I'm still a huge supporter of them. But you know what they really needed at that time was a software engineer. And I didn't want to be a software engineer. I could do it, but that's not what I want to do. That's not how I want to grow. That's not what I want to help people. And so we, you know, we, we decided to, to part ways. And so I think I was, I'm so fortunate that I had a chance that a lot of people don't get. I had a chance to sit and think for several months what I really wanted to do with myself. You know, I didn't have any pressures to, that you might, you know, I had some saved money. I got a nice severance package. So I sat and I thought, like, what do I want to do with myself? Uh, what what are the things that I love the most? And then how can I use those things to help people? And that was how I was framing the, the process. As mathematics, number one, finance, number two, people, number three. So I, I called my friends and I was like, look, we've been talking about doing these th- something for ourselves for the longest time. There's no time like the present. Let's just do it. Uh, right. So we're throwing some ideas around and, you know, student loans had come up. So we we're thinking about it. But I was sitting next to my wife one day and she was basically having a, a fight with her laptop. You know, she was she was cussing at this machine, and I just was like, "What are you doing? Why why are you taking out your anger at this laptop?" Uh, so, it turns out she was paying her student loans, and it really clicked. I'm like, "There's a huge problem here." Even when somebody has the intent to go and do the right thing, they still struggle, right? Like it's an awful experience. And not only that, there is a fourth thing on the list: education. Right? I'm super passionate about education. I love it. So, we started digging into it. We did competitive landscape. We, you know. Just because the problem is cool doesn't mean that there's a, there's a space to solve it. There might have been other people who solved it. 
started looking around and we realized that there was in fact a space, right? Because the, the first thing that we, we, we started with was, uh, was, you know, we need to get, we need to help some of these you know, folks pay more money to their student loan. Very quickly, you realize that, you know, most people make a fixed amount of money a year and most of that money is spoken for, so to speak. So, so, you know, as much as you can go and yell in somebody's ear and say, hey, you need to pay your student loans, it's not a really effective way to do things because that money has other, other it's, the money has been, been assigned, it's got jobs. And I would say if you, this isn't really a phrase, I don't think, but if the way I think about like debt psychology is even if you know that you have debt, you know it exists, it's not something you, you want to look at, you know, like, and I think about myself, like, and, you know, in earlier times in my life when my bank account was really low, like, you know, some of those low points of entrepreneurship. <laughs> and even though, you know, your bank account's low, you like, it's the one thing every day you want to avoid logging into because there's certain like pain associated with it, or it's like, it's truly confronting the reality that we just don't want to do. And so I think that's probably also part of this case, right? With student loan debt, which is like, you know, it's there, you know, it's massive in most cases, but it's also the thing that you're just like, well, let me look at that tomorrow. A hundred percent. There's a lot of apathy around debt and in, you know, student debt in particular, people just feel like they can't, they can't do anything about it. And so you're a hundred percent right. That's absolutely right. Uh, yeah. hundred percent. Okay. So you, you start creating dollar then. And, and as we talk about, you know, owning product market fit, you guys get off the ground. Um, let's, let's do this first. Can you just give our listeners a, a little clearer understanding than what I gave in your introduction on like the mechanism here uh, that dollar, you know, pushes into the market to be able to help student, help people pay off their debt? Sure. So, you know, going back to the fact that people make a fixed, most people make a fixed amount of money a year, we realize that the problem we want to solve is money. How can we get more money for this person to put to the, towards their student loans? And so when you start exploring other sources of money, the employer is a very obvious, uh, a, a very obvious solution, right? Like it's like, where can I get additional money from an employer? Because the employer has an incentive to give that money, right? The people already do student, uh, tuition reimbursement. There, there are existing student loan benefits. And there's a lot of value for the employer in terms of retaining and attracting talent. So that's one. We crossed it off the list where we can do this. And then we started exploring other mechanisms, right? Like how else can we get this person money? And everybody that I know has some kind of an app, right? Like some kind of a savings app, a rewards app, the cashback credit rewards, whatever. How cool would it be if you could redeem all of those rewards to your student loans, right? Mm. Without even thinking about it, automate it, right? Because you, like you said, people don't want to go and look at it. I just want it to happen, right? So we, uh, we combined all of those things and that's what dollar is. We find more money for people's student loans. That's really cool. So um, let's, you know, you, you guys get off the ground with this. We, 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 we start, let, let's kind of learn more about how you guys have owned product market fit or how you are owning it. And I, I think one of the most important parts of this conversation or, or when a company's in this stage is genuinely understanding the problem. And I think, you know, you spoke to that a little bit, but can you talk through your process for um, understanding the problem? And I think in the sense of like, not just that there's a problem, but that there's a problem that something can be, that, that like people would be willing to do something about if it's, if it's so solved in the right way. So what was your pro process of, you know, really honing in on the problem? Oh, I love this question. So 
you know, one thing that we've been very, very careful from, careful about from the beginning is uh, not being too romantic about what we think are good ideas because <laughs> nobody cares, right? Nobody cares. If it's adding value for somebody, then somebody might care, right? If it, it, there, there's a lot of issues there. So we, uh, we looked at what people were doing. We, we, we had a lot of conversations with a lot of people, uh, the borrowers themselves, people with and without debt. How do you manage your finances? What tools do you use? And Excel is a fantastic tool, right? A lot of people use that. Uh, but it's not, it's not interesting. Like when you start looking at tools, like for instance, Mint, not to call them out or anything, but people hate it, right? It's like, <laughs> why are you ruining my life? <laughs> so that was extremely interesting to me, right? Like those are not my words. Those are the words that, that have come from interviews that, that uh, we've conducted with folks. Like really, really interesting. Holy crap. Like there is a technology out here that purports to do certain things that people aren't feeling the value of. And mm. huge. Uh, and then we also spoke with a bunch of employers, right? Or, or other, you know, people who would be in charge of other sources of funds that we can direct to our users as student loans. And it became very clear that A, either people didn't know that student loan benefits were a thing, they didn't understand them, or they felt like they weren't for them. Right? It's like, oh, those are things that the big companies of the world do. My little 10-person shop, you know, that's probably, that nobody wants to talk to us. We're, we're not in somebody's customer profile. And so all of these were really interesting data points. The more we spoke to people, the more we realized that there was, in fact, a room in the market for us. And in fact, a very, very big room in the market for us. Uh, so we, we started digging into that further, had you know, a lot more conversations, started iterating on what the product should look like. What, what are the things that, that these people actually care about? Right. And, uh, you know, att attracting and retaining talent are problems for, for basically all employers. Right? So... But engagement is another one that's very difficult to measure. When you, when you look at smaller businesses, though, they have a huge incentive. They really, really want to help their people. They have closer relationships with them. They understand the pain. They understand the struggles. They know the sacrifices folks are making because of this loans firsthand. And so, you know, it, uh, we just had to build it. And we had to build it in a way that was easy for them to understand and use. We're still doing that. Right? Like we're still in yeah. the process of iterating on what is that perfect setup for somebody. So it, it's, it's just, it, you know, it, ultimately it comes down to asking questions and then being really honest with yourself about the answers. Because sometimes you don't like the answer. Right? Like we're human beings. We're like this doesn't meet my expectation of reality. Boo. <laughs> you know? so, but it's very, it's very important to align those things and be honest with yourself. Uh, and so, you know, for us, the, our approach to product market fit starts with conviction. So when it comes to product market fit, we know that, uh, you know, not only do you have to build something that people want, but you have to build it in a way that they find convenient to consume. Right? That, that's across, across the board. So it's very, very important when, when we think about these things. For us, product market fit is all about asking questions and then being really honest with ourselves about how we learn from the answers that we get. Because, you know, a lot of the times, you know, we're human beings. So sometimes you get answers you don't like, you know, it doesn't align with your, with your notion of reality. And so we want to make sure that we are, we're, we're, we're accommodating for that bias and really understanding that the, what, what pains the people are communicating, right? Like what is actually wrong with this thing? It might not be what we started off to solve. You know, there may be another pain that's actually the problem. And so it's been really interesting for us to try to, 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 go, to go through that process across all these people that we speak with 
and and connect the dots between the payments, right? Like, how can we connect the dot for the peop- the person who owns the loans, you know, the person who's making the payments, and and related to the to the employer who hires them, right? Like, how does that translate to paying for the employer? So really interesting. Uh, and so that's what we've been doing, right? We go, we learn, we ask questions, we build stuff. We're almost always a hundred percent embarrassed of what we release because it's just not there. But the great thing is that we don't do too much work that people don't like, right? People will say, I don't like this thing about this. And then we go and really drill into why, why don't you like that thing? What was wrong with the process? Did we give you enough information? Maybe we gave you too much information, you know? Uh, Maybe we were condescending and we didn't intend to be, right? Like that's one thing that we try to be really, really uh, aware about. So just asking questions and being truthful with yourself about, about what you learn, I think is a very important aspect of what we do. Well, in that asking, you know, in that learning process, let's call it, uh, you're, you're gathering all these different pain points. What was your process for culling it down from there, right? Like you can get overwhelmed with the amount of things people say and they say it in different words. So how do you start to actually make decisions and be like, okay, we're picking this or we're picking this set of things and we're running with that? So there's a lot of luck. Right? There's a lot of luck involved there. Uh, our gut feelings at the be- at the beginning were were more or less in the right area, uh, you know. And I'll I'll be honest with you. I think one one thing that we actively have avoided is starting to measure too early. When you don't have enough information and you try to measure, you you end up with even more problems than you started off, right? And so we we made sure that the adjustments we were making were directional. Uh, and, and where appropriate, where we had enough, where it felt like there was enough momentum, enough people had said a certain thing, there we would really drill in and make sure that, okay, hmm. let's really look at this area, right? And so backing it up, it has to be guided. You can't, you know, <laughs> a lot of people referenced, uh, I think, Henry Ford, who said, uh, you know, if pe- if I asked people what they wanted, they would say faster horses, right? So there is, there is an aspect, there is some truth to that, right? Like we can't just keep asking, like, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? People, yeah. they don't People have don't time. Know they to, yeah. yeah, they don't know what they want. They might not want to think about it. Why should they think about it? It's your problem. Like you fix it, right? Like right. solve my problem for me. And so, but, you know, but there is a, a, a good amount of, uh, you know, it starts with conviction, right? Like there's a good amount of conviction that we had, but the problem that we were solving was a real problem. Uh, and so, yeah, we we we, ha- we didn't really start measuring in earnest until very recently because that's when we we feel like we've reached to a point where we can genuinely measure and get information, not just data. So that was a very good question. Well, and to your point earlier about the need to kind of like be honest, right, and and not be so susceptible to like just confirmation bias. One of the things that I think is really important in the research phase and the learning phase, but also it's what I teach a lot of sales teams that I work with is like, Hey, when you're in, you know, that discovery process of the, of your sales call, um, you should be asking questions not to qualify them, but almost in a way to disqualify them. And when you disqualify, when it's like, if you, if you think more in that sense, how can I disqualify them as a potential customer? Then you ask better questions instead of the questions that you that you're like, oh, I need. I'm asking this so I can get the answer I want to hear. And then it's like, if you ask questions in a way where you're like, where you're thinking about how do I disqualify them, then you get to a point where you're like, okay, you know what? They've given me answers that prove I can't disqualify them. Therefore, they are qualified. And I think you just get 
you don't you get led down the wrong path far less if, you, if that's your mindset oh that is that is i love that i love that so much that's beautiful you know that reminds me of uh, somebody i follow somebody on on linkedin her name is cassie I, I, I really mess up her last name all the time, but she's the head of decision science at Google, right? So I'm not going to do okay. a mess up her name, but her first name is Cassie, head of decision science. She wrote write some really interesting articles uh, and has very interesting thoughts about, about exactly what you described. And, you know, one thing she says is don't start with a hypothesis. And when you ask qualifying questions, you're starting with a hypothesis. You're just encouraging yourself to, to ask those questions that make you feel good. So I, I love that so much. Very interesting. I like that take. Uh, don't start with a hypothesis. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you the way I see it manifest and I, I'm often coaching people on or off of is like, and, and I'll bring it back to like a, you know, a, a, a demo or a, a discovery call uh, for practicality's sake, but like, you know, one of the things everyone needs to, they know they need to figure out like timeline, right? You know, like, oh, like what's your decision timeline for this? And yeah, you know, it's great to ask a question around that. But what you'll find is most people will say like, oh, like they'll literally ask, what's your timeline for this? Or when do you want to move forward with something like this? And I'm like, you know, what you should also ask is, hey, how come we're talking about this now? And we weren't talking about this three months ago. And we're not talking about this three months from now. Like, you know, the question like that susses it out a little bit more. And then even when they say that, you're like, okay, well, and what happens if this doesn't go through? And now you start, it's almost like you start asking like the reverse question to like, try to prove to yourself that there is actually not a business case here. And if they answer favorably, then you're like, okay, there, well, there is a business case. That is, that is so fascinating. And I'm making some very furious mental notes right now because <laughs> I, I, I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that approach. You're absolutely right. Why are we having this conversation now? Such an interesting you get, you, get, you get real answers then, right? You don't get like the, you know, and you'll find out like, oh, well, I don't know. We're just, we just thought we'd explore because your email sounded interesting or, well, you know, so-and-so in this department has this thing that's launching and we need to get something ready by that launch. And now you've got an anchor event to build your entire like conversation around as opposed to just kind of being like, oh, well, they told us June, so right. June, you know, and then June, hey, how come you haven't done anything yet? Well, I don't know, you know. So anyways, um, part of this learning phase, and, and really a big part of this is understanding problem, as we've talked about, and, and I want to get your take on this. I've asked previous guests this question. I want to hear what your response is. Um, I often think there's like a, a misunderstanding of product market fit and I, and I almost think like, like the way I like to look at it and the way I think more people should look at it is it's not so much product market fit as much as it is problem market fit or at the very least problem product market fit. And I think a lot of companies where they taper off is they're so obsessed over the product side of it where they really should be obsessed over the problem side of it. I agree with you 100%. And, you know, again, these are these are manifestations of insecurity, in my opinion, right? Like, it's very easy to go and sit in a room with, with your, the rest of your team and say, look at all these shiny things. People are going to love it. You know, it's like super easy to do that. It's it's much harder to go and show it to somebody and say, why why do you hate this? <laughs> right? Like, so uh, I 100% agree with you. The, the, the problem is what drives the product. The product is just a means to a to a to a to you know an end which which would be solving somebody's problem. Yeah. So uh, I I agree with you 100. percent Yeah, and I, I almost um, 
Yeah. And I almost think this may be a hot take, but I, you know, a lot of me believes that the title director of product marketing is actually like, it's the wrong approach. It should be director of problem marketing because then they would dedicate most of their time to saying, Hey, how do we create stuff that addresses this problem? Like, how do we create content? How do we create whatever? Uh, How do we build marketing around this problem as opposed to how do I create stuff? How do I create marketing that showcases our product? And it's just, I think it's just a fundamentally different lens to look at it through. And ultimately at some point you're gonna have to talk about your product. I'm not saying you never do, but I think the more intimately you are able to understand and speak to and address, here's what's happening in the market. Here are the challenges. Here's how to overcome it. The more easily it can walk them into the solution in the product. You know, I agree with you. So like, this has just been me agreeing with you this whole time. I love it because look, <laughs> words have very, very particular meaning, right? Like, and, and those words have different words, meanings to different people. And so that's one thing that we are very, very careful about here at Dollar is, is, is that distinction. When you go and you say, you know, sales cycle, well, you, let's just say, you know, launch date. When you say launch date to a CFO and or you say launch date to a head of HR, they're thinking two very different things. The CFO might be thinking, this is when I'm going to start paying for this thing. The HR person might be thinking, oh, no, I need to prepare my people. They have to get educated. So when, how do we talk about education? You know, what does that look like? So it's, 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 it's absolutely, you're absolutely right. And, you know, we have to apply those, that same, those same principles to ourselves. Like when we call something product marketing, what do we actually mean? And are we just making ourselves happy because we want to give ourselves a title? Like that's one thing that you have to be so careful. Entrepreneurship is really hard, right? It's very, it's very rewarding, but it's so hard. And because it's so hard, it's very easy to make excuses to do bad things. Right? Right. <laughs> We're human beings. Yeah. So, and I actually, and, and that's true. And I think on the flip side of that, it's also, it's all, it's actually almost a mechanism that doesn't allow you to make excuses in some ways. And the, the, the situation I'm thinking of is like several years back when I was employed working in sales at a company, I would be like, oh, you know, it's August. It's a dead season. No one's answering their phone. No one's responding to emails because they're out of the office. They're like, oh, it's holiday season. Whereas now I'm like, I can't afford to get away with that excuse, right? Like <laughs> I'm not eating if, I, if I'm just like, well, it's, it's the holidays. No one's around. It's not worth trying. And, and I think that that's like the other side of the coin almost is it's like, yes, you're right. You can make excuses to make yourself feel better. But then there's also like, well, but if you make excuses, <laughs> then you're you're not eating. <laughs> right. The harsh reality, right? And I love that. Like you're not eating quite literally, right? You're right. literally not eating. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you about um, how you're how you you've picked your your target markets and zoned in on those. Um, but before I do, uh, I just want to take a little step back here. Uh, to feature um, one of the Startup Hype Man portfolio clients and and deliver their elevator pitch for the listeners um, that we've created using the Startup Hype Man proprietary KPASA pitch formula, which if you've been listening, you know KPASA stands for Problem, Approach, Solution, Action. And today we're featuring Swish House. And Swish House, what is, what is Swish House? Well, 
Hey, maybe you've been to a spin class, but you couldn't figure out the resistance level on the bike. I know that happens to me all the time. So you try to hit class, but the kettlebell swings hurt your back and like, who wants to flip tires, you know? Uh, so you went to CrossFit and that was way too aggressive and Pilates made you feel out of place. And the guy at the gym in the free weight section grunts with every rep and is just holding those jugs of water. And it's really weird. So why put up with options that are hard to get up for, hard to find, feel like hard work and hard to feel like you fit in just to stay in shape. Instead, why not come to Swish House and burn a thousand calories without even knowing it? Swish House is the basketball fitness community for people who love the game and want to actually look forward to hitting the gym. At Swish House, you'll feel like a kid again and train like your favorite NBA player with a perfect combination of classic team shooting contests, an array of individual drills, hoops-themed hit stations, and you'll get a high five at the end when you hit the buzzer beater. Look, we all know there's no better shape than basketball shape. So whether you played on your driveway, whether you played in college, or you just like to shoot around, make Swish House your new home. Try Swish House out today for just a $9.99 first class, $9.99 first class, and ditch the treadmill for good. Head to swishhouse.com to get started. Today, we're talking with Navid Iqbal, the founder and CEO of Dollar, the student loan, student debt student loan debt repayment platform. And we're talking about owning product market fit. Now, Naveed, I want to learn more about who you like learned was your true target market. And specifically, um, I, I would love you to, to talk through like this whole notion of like, sometimes there are people who it would be good for, but they don't necessarily see themselves as like, like, like they, they refuse to acknowledge they have the problem or that they couldn't solve it themselves. This is uh, this is such an interesting question, right? And the problem is one thing that's equally, a, or maybe you know, I'm, one thing that's very important, uh, you know, almost as important as the problem itself, is looking at your resources now. How can you? What can you do to solve this problem right now? And sometimes that means helping the person who's already helping themselves accelerate that. And so you you know you have to make an active decision to. <laughs> one of my co-founders the other day said, "Look, if you're not a success, if we're not a successful business, we're helping no one, right? So it's better to focus on on the person who is actively helping themselves, and we can grow, and then we can help those people who, who might not be taking that first step. Now, you know, <laughs> going back to our previous conversation a little bit, it does sound like a little bit of an excuse, but at the end of the day, you have a fixed number of hours every week." Right, like you have a fixed number of hours, you have to maximize the your ability to help people during those hours. So, so the, you know, there's that aspect of it from from the from the company's side. Where do we put most of our resources? So that's a very interesting question itself. Now, we look at the flip side of it, and you know, you're absolutely right. For instance, you know, just to to, to speak for a specific example, if I go to a, to an to an accounting firm and I say, hey, your people do need help with the student loan repayment. They might laugh me out of the room, but they might be laughing me out of the room because of exactly what you described, right? Like they may be feeling like, no, I'm an accountant. Like I know this. Right. I've got this under control. But guess what? When you look at the data, they actually don't. We're all human beings. We struggle with the same thing, right? Uh, yeah. and, and there's also this, this notion of uh, it's very often you find folks who do something for work don't typically apply it as well to themselves, uh, and it might just be because of a difference in time and available, you know, 
different uh, priorities outside of work. But you know, it's 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 really important to be able to recognize that when some sometimes when somebody says no, they might mean I don't know or I'm scared or it makes me feel embarrassed to admit any help. Well, and I think what this speaks to is it's almost like picking the market whose ego will not get in the way, who's like their ego won't get in the way of you being able to do business with them, right? Like you mentioned like the account, yeah, perhaps viable market. And you know what, maybe when you, maybe when you've flooded the market so much, they're like, okay, clearly we're missing out on something. So we should get in on this. But at least at the beginning, it's almost like you could choose the market where the level of convincing is like just to believe in you is so high, even though you see a problem exists, or you could pick the market or markets where you say like, it's not an uphill climb just to get them to listen in the first place. Both, both sets have a problem, but one, they, it's really tough to get them to just even bend their ear for a minute. Whereas the others are happy to take the meeting and happy to listen and happy to look at this because they acknowledge not only is it a problem, but they don't have the skill set or the experience to do anything about it themselves. Absolutely. And, you know, that is in itself a very important part of product market fit, right? Like growing quickly where the pain is so overwhelming that as soon as you show up, people start signing up. Right. And, and, and so ident- it's easy to say that, right? Like, how do you find, the, oh, just start where the problem is biggest, right? It's very easy to say that. But the process of finding where, you know, what industry, what, what type of business has that pain so much that, that there will be early adopters, that they will give you good feedback, that, you know, it's not going to take you four or five months just to get into the door. It's not an, 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 a no right, right at front. Because, look, Part of product market fit is not only, I think I love what you said, right? Part of the problem market fit is not only that you have something that does what you say it would, but you have people that are using it. You need, even when you're not at product market fit, you still need people using the thing that you built so that you can, <laughs> you can make it better, right? Like it doesn't suddenly become, oh my God, I went from zero to three million. Right. You, you need people using it. And so that's been a really, really important focus area of, uh, focus area for us because we need to get this in the hands, into people's hands. When they use it, we see where they're having problems. Sometimes without even asking them, we can make adjustments that improve their lives. Yeah. And then it becomes very interesting when you start asking about, okay, what was wrong with that? Like, what would you have done differently? What felt unnatural about it? So absolutely important. You need to find those areas you can grow very quickly. in. Yeah, and I, I, I want to just highlight that like I want everyone to like make sure they paid attention to that. It's you want to almost like hedge your bets in the direction of who's the market who out of the gate anyway, who's the market who's willing to do something about this. Um, and, and I think that's why, you know, in a further extended sense, I think it's where a lot of actually like sales and marketing teams start to struggle is you know, you, you, I review all these demo calls and they're like, oh, you know, this person has the problem. Like they're a perfect fit. But there's a difference between a person having a problem and a person having a problem and caring to do something about it. You know, and I, I always say like, you know what? I wake up every day with a hundred issues. 
99 of which I'm going to choose to do nothing about because it's just not that important to me. And I'm willing to tolerate whatever level of discomfort or pain or whatever exists, right? And you really have to figure out what is the thing that they, not only is it, does a problem exist, but then it's like step two is, does it exist? And do they acknowledge that it exists? And step three is, does it exist? Do they acknowledge it exists? And do they care to do something about it? And in your case, it's like, hey, why focus on these, I don't know, maybe like financial advisors or why focus on these accountants who seem like seemingly great fit, but they're, what's getting in the way is them saying to themselves, no, no, I should be able to figure this out myself. I, I, it will look bad. It will reflect poorly on me if I were to take in outside help for this. So I think that's just, it, it, it's just like preeminently like important that I think I, I want everyone listening to make sure they understand that point. Cause it's just, it's, it is so significant to really, really break through in your market. Um, Cause I think, I think market selection is a big part of this. And it takes a lot of work to find, right? You, you, you're like, we failed a lot. We found, we're finally at a place where we, we, we have two areas where we're, we're finding good success quickly, but it took a lot, a lot of no's and a lot of trying and iterating on a message for us to be able to even get those people there. Right. So it was, you just have to keep adjusting. If, if something's not working, then, you know, it's better to stop quickly and adjust and, and try something that might work. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've done thousands of those experiments over the last 15 months. And it, they could be micro experiments, right? Like you make micro decisions every day. Like, do I say hi or do I say hello? That's mm-hmm. important. But are you going to spend an hour thinking about that? No. Why? <laughs> right? like, why would yeah. you do that? And you, you know that, that analogy extends to other areas that may not seem as trivial, but are equally as trivial. Well, uh, let me ask you uh, two more questions and then we'll begin our wrap up. So on that idea of like the experimentation, right? It's kind of almost like this eternal experiment, but I think this ties to what you said earlier about like, hey, there's a certain point in which we start to measure. You don't measure right away. I, I do think there's a difference. I think uh, what you're saying is there's a difference between like tracking and measuring. Like you're probably tracking all the way, but you don't start putting like, you don't start like tracking for the purpose of like intent, but you, you're gathering data along the way. You're just starting to look at it in a certain way once you get to a certain point. But in this idea of experimentation, perhaps it's different for every company, but like, how do you know when you've experimented enough? How do you know when you can say, okay, this is successful or this is unsuccessful? What's like the timeline for that? Oh, timeline. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I can speak on timeline. I do. And, you know, you're absolutely right. It's important to track. Very important. If you're not tracking, then you're not doing anything. Uh, but uh, so, you know, a lot of it, this is like so cliche because it, it, when, when, when it starts working, you, you feel results, right? You, you see it. People send you emails. People ask certain questions, which you, you haven't been getting before. And you start seeing that. As soon as we started seeing that kind of an approach was working, then we really doubled down and say, okay, can we, can we copy this approach that we took in this experiment to this other area that it wasn't working? In? And, you know, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't, but, but that sort of creates a, a momentum that's really good for, for many, many reasons, for your own feelings, for the fact that people are finding your, your, you know, what you're doing valuable enough to respond to an email. It, I think if somebody responds to an email from me, it's as if they've sent me $1,000, right? Like, I love it. It, I, I, 
it it means so much to me <laughs> and so when 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 that happens uh you you just start feeling and you have to act on it right you can't you can't sit back and say here i am product market fit thank you peace <laughs> no but we 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 continue we, you know you continue to refine and iterate because you know maybe you got lucky right so then my last question before we turn to our wrap up is how would you define pro- like product market fit is achieved when what like what 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 do you say is the point you're like hey we we have we've achieved it and now we are in scale mode so i'm going to put this in terms of a recent framework that i read uh, by uh, a you know i'm so bad at names but this person's <laughs> name is sarah i tavel i hope i pronounced it correctly she's a vc she's pretty amazing she writes some really interesting things but she's got this framework uh, around you know hierarchy of engagement that's what it's called hmm. i view product market fit as when everybody who you expect to use your your thing is completing the core action right and so if it well maybe everybody is like being too generous but if a, a majority of folks who who sign up like if i go and i create an account am i going through and completing my core action right like when you're seeing more people completing the core action then you have come to a then you are at a point where you you know it's very interesting and you might say that you you've hit product market fit mm. okay let's begin our wrap up uh navid where can our listeners learn more about you where can they learn more about dollar and get in touch So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to connect with uh, you know anybody who's not going to give me a LinkedIn pitch slap, but uh, <laughs> that, that's just a joke. But uh, you know at getdollar.com, g-e-t-d-o-l-r.com, uh, you can you can learn a lot more and open an account, play around with some of our calculators. I think it's a it, it'll be fun either way. It's funny that you have a calculator on your site because you were like dissecting the mechanics of a calculator when you were young. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny how those things come full circle. Um who's one person that you want to shout out today? It could be a teammate, a colleague, a mentor, a friend, anybody. My wife, my wife, man, like she is the reason why we are able to keep doing what we're doing, at least for me, you know. Uh the support, the belief, the you know, going through entrepreneurial being an entrepreneur is is, is very hard for many many reasons, right? Uh, and and having full 100% buy-in from your partner makes all the difference. Yeah. So she, yeah, definitely. She's a I can I can vouch for that as well and uh, if she's currently also working from home, I think you just scored some major brownie points by by shouting her out. <laughs> <laughs> um let's do our final uh one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners based on our discussion today. I'll go first and I'll toss it to you. Um we talked about a lot today. The topic was owning product market fit. I think for me something I want to I want everyone to walk away with is what you talked about around the manifestations of insecurity and really being honest with yourself around are you letting your own insecurities lead the decision making therefore you're essentially playing into the hands of your own confirmation bias or are you really being really being truly honest with yourself so that, so understanding the different manifestations of insecurity i think is really interesting with this now the uh, top lessons or takeaways for the listeners you know i think that that exactly nails it you know i uh, i just add having 
having conviction is a very important part of it, right? Like uh, identifying the areas where you are open to having doubts is very important. Having conviction in that I'm doing something that's going to be valuable for somebody. And this is the reason why it's a huge part of, you know, I think at least how I balance those two things uh, and, and transparency and honesty with yourself first with your team and then with your customers. My final question, which is how we end every episode here on the show, fill in the blank, Navid. Entrepreneurship is blank. Uh, entrepreneurship is uh, enlightening. Entrepreneurship is giving back. It's community service. Entrepreneurship is hard. Entrepreneurship is the human condition. <laughs> encapsulated into a word you know uh, it's, it's just a wonderful thing and i think everybody should give it a shot somewhere or the other these days it's so easy you can start a store online you don't have to do this full time like some of us crazy people right but <laughs> it's i think everybody should give it a shot it's it, there's nothing more rewarding in life than somebody sending you some kind of a, a message that says you did something that made a big difference to me so thank you and i you know it, anybody can get can, can get that Entrepreneurship is enlightening and entrepreneurship is the human condition. I like that a lot. He is Naveed Iqbal, founder and CEO of Dollar. Naveed, thank you for kicking off season 16 of Startup Hype Man, the podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. You know, it's, yeah, I, I, I'm humble. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure is all mine. That wraps up today's conversation. Did you like what you heard? Startup Hype Man, the podcast is available on every major platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and more. So be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and leave a rating and review. Do you want to be an upcoming guest on the show? Email media at startuphypeman.com with your idea and my team will review. Our theme song is Change the Game by Jay-Z, all rights owned by Rockefeller and Def Jam Records. And hey, if you want to work together on making your startup story the only one that matters, email me at rajiv at startuphypeman.com. That's R-A-J-I-V at startuphypeman.com. Well, that'll do it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you to today's guests for joining. You have been checking out Startup Hype Man, the podcast. I'll catch you next week. But in the meantime, word up, raise up.